You're listening to episode 49 of Widowcast with Joanne Philomena, the author of Widowed. This is a Joanne the Life Coach podcast production. These are real stories and real experiences of widowhood, both my own story and many other widows I've known and worked with as a life coach. If you shop on Amazon.com, you can support this podcast by going there through my affiliate link. You don't pay a penny more for your shopping, but Amazon passes a few cents along to this podcast. Just go to joannethelifecoach.com slash Amazon. Make this your Amazon link your favorite. Then anytime you take advantage of shopping on Amazon, you're helping to support this podcast. Thank you so much. Welcome back, my friends. It's after the holidays. It's actually New Year's Eve as I podcast this this morning. This holiday season, did you plan something for yourself? Acknowledging you're going to miss your spouse like crazy, but you could still find a little joy in the season, a little warmth for the heart? I hope you did. It's a tough time of year. It's a tough time of year, especially that first year, that first Thanksgiving and Christmas you're going through. Second year, still tough, but I had a huge mental shift that I've been dying to share with all of you. Now, if you're a brand new widow, you may not be here yet. I know you're not at the place I am. I'm just crossed two years. Jim passed two years ago on December 29th, and um, yeah, I spent that evening by my fire with a glass of wine and a lap full of photographs and memories, and it was bittersweet, and yeah, I cried a lot. I also reached out to Jim and told him, you know what, I can't wait to meet you again, because I know that I will. In the faith that both he and I had, the beliefs that we shared, we know, we know we'll meet again. When we met the first time around, at least in this lifetime, Jim just looked at me and said, gosh, we've done this a thousand times before. And in my heart, I felt like it was true. It was true. We had met a thousand times before. We'll probably meet a thousand times again. But... If you are recently widowed, this podcast episode is about a shift I felt as I approached the end of the second year. So it may not resonate with you at all. As a matter of fact, I'm sure it won't resonate with you at all. You can listen with an open mind and know that there are shifts in your thinking ahead in your process. But I just didn't want to scare off new widows. (laughs) because I really understand the fog that you're still in. I've been there. I've so been there. On one of my Facebook ads for my book, um, it's amazing, you all, because I've put ads out. I paid for Facebook ads to offer my book for free right now. You can download it in PDF format to just read on your computer. Um, Although the Kindle is only $4.49. If you have a Kindle, it's nicer, I think, to read on the Kindle because you can go 
lay around on the sofa or sit anywhere and read the book. But for free, you can sit and read it at your computer. But these ads have taken on a life of their own, which just amazed me because widows began commenting and sharing their stories right on the ad and talking to each other right on the ad. And so many new widows asking if it was normal that they were in such a mental fog. They couldn't even reach back for all their memories. One of them was really afraid that she had lost memories of her relationship with her husband. But it's new for her. And she's still in that state of shock when your mind is shutting down and protecting you from too much sadness at once. So I do hope all of them download my book and find their way to this podcast. I know there's so many, many, many more widows out there that they don't even know podcasts exist. Breaks my heart because I want to reach out and just reassure every single one of you guys. So the holidays. Wow. I spent Thanksgiving out in California at my daughter's new house. Um... Thanksgiving, I'm sure I've told you before on these podcasts, was a real special time for Jim and I. The first time we were together, spent any time together, was over the week of Thanksgiving. He was brave enough to whisk me off to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which was kind of a childhood dream of mine. I grew up in California, and to me, that parade on Thanksgiving morning was so magical because sometimes there was even snow and always Santa Claus. I was looking at New York City. I loved watching the parade. I never dreamed that I would find myself on the other side of the continent. And as a kid, I sure never dreamed that I would ever get to go to that parade. So my first week in New York City was Thanksgiving week. And when Jim found out that I watched that parade every Thanksgiving morning as a kid, he said, grab your jacket. We got on the subway down into Manhattan to where Macy's was. It was amazing. It was amazing to go to the parade together. And um, yeah, the balloons are bigger than you can even imagine if you've never been there. And Manhattan was wonderful. It was all families and it was crowded, but we could get right down to the front of Macy's to watch the performances It was delightful. And when we came back, I had decided the day before Thanksgiving that I would attempt a Thanksgiving dinner in a New York City apartment. Now, New York City apartments have tiny, tiny, tiny kitchens. They're like closets. Okay. And I lugged a turkey back from the bodega and I managed to turn a Thanksgiving dinner out of that little kitchen. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And I did it every year after that, after we were married. So Thanksgiving was kind of the real special holiday for Jim and I. And after that, we spent every Thanksgiving pretty much just the two of us. That's how we wanted it to be. I would make us Thanksgiving dinner. We would reminisce. We would laugh about going down to the parade. It was our holiday. So Thanksgiving for me, actually, the first year felt harder than Christmas. My daughter and my son-in-law came out that first year. It was delightful to have someone here to cook for. This year, they had bought their first house out in California, 
and I knew she wanted to do Thanksgiving dinner in her new kitchen. So I flew out to California. I got to see their new house. It was exciting because I was really looking forward to seeing them, seeing their house. And it made it so much easier for me. I was looking forward to connecting with Jim's best friend, who had been friends since childhood. If you've read Widowed, you know that I talk about Glenn in the book because he was such a treasure, kind of touching base with me, calling now and then to see how I was doing. So I flew out and um, got to see Jen's new house and got to see her guest room that she referred to as mom's room, mommy's room. And mommy's room was beautiful. She had painted it a soft gray, nice draperies, beautiful bedspread. I mean, she really decorated it nice into my taste. It was such a such a pleasure. And um, when I connected with Glenn, we were going to connect for dinner. But then I found out because his family plans were kind of askew and they were doing Thanksgiving early and I realized on Thanksgiving day he didn't have any place he needed to be so I invited him uh, to come have Thanksgiving dinner with us and that was a joy to see him again. He told a story at Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) and it sounds silly but it's really an integral part of the mind shift that happened to me over the end of these of the two years being a widow. And he said, he leaned over to me at dinner, and I think it was Massapequa. I'm not sure the name of the town, and you'll find out why. But he leaned over to me and said, did Jim ever tell you the story about when we, that wild evening we had in Massapequa? And I said, where? And he said, oh, just hold that thought. (laughs) And then he said, when they were young guys, they went to this town looking for girls. (laughs) And it turned out to be kind of a a crazy evening. And every time that they would reconnect again as adults, um, John would bring it up. Remember that wild night we had? And Jim would say, yeah, what what town was that again? I can never remember the name. And John wouldn't tell him because he was just kind of jerking Jim's chain a little. And he found it really humorous that Jim could never remember the name of the town. And sometimes he might mention it to him, but it would never stick in Jim's head. It just kind of gave John a little pleasure to toy with Jim that way. And he turned to me and he said, that's why when I asked if Jim had ever told you the story about Massapequa and you said where, I thought to myself, yep, that's Jim's wife. (laughs) So it made me laugh. It was a little bit of a gotcha story. It was a great story about he and Jim. I abbreviated it a lot. Um, And that's part of the pleasure of getting to reconnect with this old friend because he and I both share history with Jim. He's somebody who is completely comfortable in talking about old times. Um, It's always a pleasure to connect with him. And later, after Thanksgiving, when I was flying back to New York and thinking about what a wonderful time I had with my daughter and her adorable little house, it's not that little actually, um, I was thinking about that story and giggling to myself. But then I suddenly, the thought hit me. I thought, oh, he still thinks of me as 
Jim's wife. And then I thought, wait a minute, I still think of me as Jim's wife. And there was that sudden realization that I'm no longer Jim's wife. I could even hear him say it to me. You know, sometimes I hear his voice in my head, and I don't know if he's really standing next to me saying these things, or it's just because my mind knows what he would say. You know how that is after all those years together. And I heard Jim say, hey, till death do us part, baby, it was your out clause. And it made me laugh because he had also always told me, and this is just Jim's personality. Don't take offense. He would tell me anything happens to you. I've got someone else in this house within a week. I can't be alone. And he would tell me, you will too. I might take you two weeks, but you'll have somebody else here. And I would laugh and I'd say, I'm not putting up with another man again. Get out of here. It was just that kind of back and forth teasing. So hearing him say, There was that whole till death do us part clause, baby, that's your out, made me laugh. But it also made me realize I'm not Jim's wife. I'm his widow. And I felt something completely open up inside of me. It was an acceptance that Jim is gone and I'm not married anymore. Now, I've talked about before how we intellectually know that our spouse died. Some of us saw our spouse die. (laughs) We know that they're not coming back. But there's something that lives in your heart, in the back of your mind. I think of it like the eternal return, that we somewhere inside expect them to walk through the door at any time. It's why we don't take down that picture that we always hated, but they liked. It's why we don't put the spatula in a different drawer in the kitchen. It's why we still have things that we haven't let go of that belong to them. Something inside of us thinks they're coming back. Suddenly, that went away. It went away. I And I realized that on an energy level, there had not been room in my life for anything new while I was still hanging on to the past that way. I had truly, for two years, basically been still thinking of myself as Jim's wife. And that's fine. (laughs) It's the way I needed to think. It's the way I felt. But at the end of two years came the realization that I was blocking the future. Even though I had come through two years and experienced tremendous personal growth through the emotional pain and stress, I was still hanging on to living in the past. And I'm telling you, my two years as a widow have perhaps been extraordinary because I made a couple of decisions early on. I've talked about this. One was the decision to live the year after Jim died as if it were my last year. Because as widows, our eyes open to knowing the value of every single moment, every single day in our life, that there's really not a second to be wasted. You don't want to waste your time doing those ordinary day-to-day things. 
I mean, we still have to get up and brush our teeth and wipe out the sink and you know the day to day things. But what I mean is that mean is that we need to we realize that we want to savor every second and we want to rush to everybody in our life, all of our loved ones, and tell them how much we love them because we know how precious that is. The other thing that made such a huge transformational difference for me was my decision to become a life coach and becoming certified as a life coach and to begin working with other widows. I'm also a weight coach and I work with clients on that. Um, This made huge transformation for me even in that first year. But even with all of that, I was still living in the past. I still had one foot in the past behind me, even as I was stepping one foot into my future. So this acceptance came about as to my new status, and it didn't feel scary. It didn't hurt to accept it. That's the amazing thing. It felt like a relief to know that I still had that time with Jim. I'll still meet him again, maybe a thousand times more again. But that for now, my life moves forward. And something else that I didn't even immediately connect to that feeling. When I came home and I went upstairs I looked at the old drapes hanging in my bedroom. Now, when we bought this house up on the Hudson River, gosh, 13 years ago, when we moved out of New York City, the drapes in that room were not really to our taste, but they were in such good shape. And they were terrific drapes. They were Martha Stewart drapes. And I said, oh, eventually we'll replace those. But there's a lot of other things the house needs right now. And it did, like a new roof. (laughs) But as I came home and went upstairs, I realized it had been 13 years. And those floral drapes were still hanging there. Pale yellow drapes with blue flowers on them. They were a little bit little girl room looking. And I had just kind of decorated the room around that, made it very antique and quaint. And it worked, but it was not what I saw my room being ever. And when I came home and saw that, I felt like I wanted to replace them right away. Like the room Jen had made for me in her house was so beautiful and so contemporary. And this was something I had meant to change 13 years ago. So I went out and I bought new drapes and I brought them home. I had to hem them. And then hang them. I had to buy different rods because they're a different style. But when I got those drapes up in the bedroom, it changed the room immediately. Well, I was on a roll. I ordered a new white bedspread and gray pillow shams of the same design. I went back to the store and I found a gray lampshade and then two inexpensive little holiday decor pillows that were just shiny gray sequins. Bling total score. They were cheap. (laughs) I found a gray snuggly throw for across the foot of the bed. I bought a couple of little silver accessories for the nightstand. I made a few more changes with things I already had and the bedroom was completely transformed. 
and I loved it. All totaled for the drapes, rods, bed linens, accessories, I think I spent about $200, which is a small price to pay for a completely refreshed room. I was pretty happy with myself and thrilled at my contemporary beautiful bedroom. Loved going up there. And then I sat down on the bed and I realized this was a part of the shift, the mental shift I had made after Thanksgiving. I needed to do that. I needed to let go of what our bedroom was. I needed the bedroom to just be mine. It made such a huge difference. And again, none of this felt awful. None of this felt guilty. If I had done that right after Jim had passed away, I would have felt so guilty about it, like I was trying to erase him from my life. And nothing is further from the truth. There's no way I would want to erase Jim. There's no way I could erase Jim from my life. He changed the very person that I am just having spent those years with him. But as I said, on an energetic level, that little thing that had been living in my heart, saying that I was Jim's wife, that little thing that still was expecting him to walk back in the door, was blocking me from having anything new in my life, was blocking me from my own future. It sounds trite on some level, I'm sure, to think, okay, so she changed a few things in her bedroom. <laughs> but it is acceptance and truly I'm able to hug my memories close, but knowing that it was till death do us part. And yes, I still cry. I cried on December 29th. I'm telling you, you know, you pull out the, the photos and you see all the old times and I realize how far we came together, how much I learned from him. And yeah, I cried, cried a lot. Yeah, we'll meet again, Jim and I, after this lifetime. But until then, my life continues on. I'm his widow, but this means I'm a single lady, not married. I'm just me now. It's a lot to wrap my brain around. But I've only just started being able to wrap my brain around that. And suddenly I want change. I want a lot of change. I have that urge to empty out my closet and create a wardrobe of just minimal, perfect pieces. I feel the need to clear out the basement and the closets. There's still a lot of stuff that I had not been able to let go of. And suddenly I know that I can, that letting go of that stuff doesn't mean I'm letting go of my memories. I'm not letting go of the over 20 years I had with Jim. But it's making space. It's making space in my life for the new future to come in. Could someone else come into my life? Maybe so. It's still hard for me to think about that. But it's the first time I felt that little crack open up in my heart that maybe I could love someone again. I know it's happened for other widows. I didn't think it would be me, but now I'm beginning to think it could be for me. I'll just be open to it. 
I'll clear out the closets, make some more changes in the house, and yeah, I'll make space for that future to come in. When I came back, I got back into New York right ahead of a snowstorm. Thank goodness <laughs> I didn't have to come home and be delayed anywhere after Christmas Day. I made it all the way back. Got home late Wednesday evening. Thursday, we got hit with a good snowstorm. Snowed all day. And you know, I thought kids never come around looking to earn a few dollars anymore. It used to be that kids would come out in a snowstorm with the shovels and bang on your door to try to make some extra money. Just same thing in the summer. Kids would come around and ask to mow your lawn. Doesn't happen anymore. I mean, I guess we give them everything. But on this day, a kid showed up at my door asking to shovel my walk and driveway. He looked like he was in high school. Now, I had intended to wrestle out <laughs> that little red snowblower and clear it all out. I was getting ready to go outside and do that when he knocked on my door. But I was so impressed that there was actually a high schooler industrious enough to try to make some pocket money. So I asked him how much, and he said, whatever it's worth, whatever you think it's worth. Well, I wanted to grab him by the neck, pull him in my house, set him down, and lecture him on being an entrepreneur. <laughs> First of all, to tell him, honey, you need to set a price, but I didn't. I said, well, and I knew in my mind I could call my guy that has a backhoe to come clear the snow and he would do it for $30. So I asked the kid, will you do it for $30? And he nodded and he started shoveling. Then I peeked out a living room window. You know, I kind of wanted to see what kind of a job he was doing, make sure he's getting the walkway as well as the driveway. And I realized he was in a thin sweatshirt. Looked like with not much underneath it, like maybe he had a t-shirt under it and it was already soaked through. And what really caught my attention was he had no gloves on. And if you live where it's snowy, you know to grab a snow shovel and start shoveling without gloves, ooh, that hurts. Now, I'm not saying that the kid was needy, although that was my first impression when I looked at how he was clothed. And then I realized being a hot boy of high school age, <laughs> he could just be foolish and had just left the house that way. But I had a feeling that if he had gloves, he would have had gloves on. And I knew immediately what I needed to do. I searched around and I found Jim's good gloves, his favorite down vest and a knit hat. I opened the door and I said, hey, kid, and I called him over and said, see if these fit. He looked surprised, but he put them all right on. And I thought to myself, happy passing on day, Jim. It was the anniversary of the day Jim died. And I knew that this is exactly what he would have chosen to do. He would have pulled out his things and given them to the kid. Now, to this kid's credit, when he was done, and he came meekly tapping on my door, and when I opened the door, he handed the vest, scarf, and gloves back out to me. And I said, oh no, keep them, stay warm. 
Again, he looked surprised. He hadn't realized I meant for him to have those things. And I gave him the $30 and said, Have a happy new year, kid. And I closed the door and I glanced out the window and I saw him pulling on that down vest as he walked away. And in my heart, I knew that one, I think Jim sent the kid to me for sure. And two, without having that shift in my heart after Thanksgiving that allowed me to let go of the past a little bit, I would not have been able to let go of Jim's things like that. It was because of that shift that I was able to hand over Jim's vest. I still had it. I still had it hanging by the back door because it gave me comfort. It was something Jim wore all the time. I would even put it on and stand on it sometimes. But that kid was exactly who should have that vest because Jim was that kind of kid. He was the kid that worked through high school. He always had money in his pocket, even though his family was not rich. But he would work. It felt like the perfect thing to do and the perfect piece of letting go. So if you're not there yet, there is nothing that says that you need to hurry to that place of acceptance and understanding that you are no longer somebody's wife. It will come to you in time. And when it does come to you in time, it's not going to feel awful. It's not going to feel like guilt. It's not going to feel like losing them again. It's going to feel wonderful. It's going to make your heart open up. It's going to let you become who you are. So that's my end of the year story. As I closed out my second year as a widow. And I am so excited to see what year number three brings me. Because now I am truly ready to move forward with my life, to make the space and time in my life to continue on with all that I want to do with widows. I've published my book. I've began coaching widows. Back in January, I launched this podcast for widows. I never would have thought that I could do all these things. Now, do know that I coach widows. I am a life coach. I speak widow to widow. Having walked this path myself, I know that I'm one of the best people to work with widows. Only another widow can truly understand what you go through. If you want to reach out to me and jump on a call with me to learn more about hiring me as a coach, my schedule is open to all of you to find a day and time when we can get on the phone together. If you just go to talktojoanne.com, it takes you right into my scheduler. Or you can email me at joanne at joannethelifecoach.com. And remember, that's J-O-A-N-N. No E. What does 2017 bring? Well, some of you may have heard in my last podcast or read on Facebook that I am 
putting together a program to teach widows how to reach out and coach other widows. I want to certify widow coaches to go out into their communities. It's something that I desired to do because I see so much the need for local groups for women. But I can't be in every town across America. Then I realized that one of the things that helped me transform was becoming certified as a life coach. And I want to pass that back off to you. I am putting together programs to train groups of widows as widow coaches, and I will professionally certify you as a widow coach. What you do with your coaching is up to you. It is something that can add an income stream for you if you want to coach widows one-on-one. You can do meetup groups with widows. I can go into all of that if you want to learn more. Just email me. Let me know if you're interested. I'm hoping to kick this off with a call a week from Tuesday with all the people that I've already talked to that signed up for this. It's the beta launch of this program. I'm going to try to limit it to just eight people. So spots are going to go fast. If you're interested in investing in something like this so that you can become a certified widow coach, email me at joanne at joannethelifecoach.com. We'll jump on the phone together and you can find out more. And I'll see if you're a good fit to be a widow coach. So, This is our last day of 2016. I'm wishing all of you the best new year ever. It can be. Think of what would make next year an amazing year for you. Write those things down. Let your brain run wild. What is going to make 2017 an amazing year? And then live your life as if those things are true. You'll be amazed at what can happen. Happy New Year. Get out there. Make room for joy in your life. Until next week. <music>